The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. This is either the conference tournament edition or March Madness has arrived. This is Kevin McNamara of the Journal with uh, Bill Koch. Bill, Welcome to the madness. Kevin Mack. Best time of the year if you're a college basketball fan. It's a crazy time of a lot of hopefully close buzzer-beating games. And we'll see what happens with everything leading up to Selection Sunday this weekend. Um, I am headed to New York and Madison Square Garden where Providence College will play Butler on Wednesday night to tip off the Big East Tournament. Uh, 7 o'clock on Wednesday at the Garden, and then the next day on Thursday at noontime, Mr. Koch will be in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center where the URI Rams and the LaSalle Explorers Explorers will play for the second time this season. So, uh, Bill, just some news off the top for anyone who missed it. We're going to go through the announced awards through both of the leagues, and I will start with the Big East. Uh, The Player and Coach of the Year awards aren't announced until tomorrow at 4.30. That's but, Wednesday, correct? Uh, We're I'm taping sorry, this yes. on a Tuesday. Wednesday. Yep. I can guarantee you that Marcus Howard of Marquette will be the Player of the Year. Slam dunk, you think so? Uh, the coach, slam dunk, no no question okay. about it. Um, uh, I don't think it's close. Okay. I don't know if it would be unanimous. I guess uh, they probably don't even announce if it's unanimous, but we shall see. No, I'll take your word for it. Um Coach of the Year is, is, I would say, very competitive. Uh, I think Jay Wright is a very strong contender, won the league, uh, lost four players to the NBA, total rebuild on the fly, and still wins the league. It says something about what he's got going on at Villanova. Pretty good. Uh, Seton Hall, Kevin Willard, Georgetown, Patrick Ewing. I think those are the other two who I would uh, consider voting for. Kevin Willard was the other guy who came to mind for me, so I, I think we're both sort of on the the uh, the same track here. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Ewing, you know, I think they were also nine and nine with uh, basically a freshman dominated team, three freshman starters, and Jesse Govan, the senior. So uh, certainly an excellent showing by the Hoyas this this year in Patrick's second season. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday. All Big East first team, unanimous picks, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, Seton Hall, and Phil Booth and Eric Paschal from Villanova. The other first team members are Jesse Govan from Georgetown and Shamari Pons of St. John's. Uh, Providence's only mention here is second teamer Alpha Diallo. Uh, which I think is uh, spot on. Uh, it's not a first team member, but uh, certainly deserves some uh, some love. And you get the second team. No Friar freshman on the all freshman team, so uh, nothing for David Duke or AJ Reeves, which is probably understandable as well. Looking at the six guys who were picked, so that's that. I think the f- all freshman freshman of the year will be James Akinjo from Georgetown. There was only two. Unanimous picks, he and Marcus Zagorowski. And I think uh, Akinjo will get the nod as the freshman of the year. That is also announced on Friends on Wednesday. And in the Atlantic 10, sir. Yeah, a uh, couple URI representatives. Uh, Cyril Angevine named to the second team. Uh, Jeff Doughton named to the all-academic team. Um, those are the only two Rhodey Rams named uh, among the 15 all-conference selections. Uh, Langevin also named to the all-defensive team, um, mm-hmm. you know, which if anyone saw him play in the paint this year in terms of 
his physicality and you know his ability to exert his will on opponents uh, that would certainly be well deserved uh, player of the year John Axel Goodmanson from Davidson uh, he's who I would have had let's just be clear before we get into this coaches vote on the player awards and sports information directors vote on the all academic team uh, so these would reflect the coaches votes uh, the player of the year John Axel Goodmanson I would agree with that the coach of the year Mike Rhodes from VCU uh, his team won the league by two full games they were picked preseason I think sixth or seventh uh, oh really so that's interesting I would have said they were picked in the top three well, so Havoc came huh. back in a, a big way this season uh, rookie of the year was Obi Toppin from Dayton uh, who I think won the rookie of the week honor seven different times uh, and, and was certainly the clear runaway winner for that award uh, the sixth man was Tavian Dunn-Martin from Duquesne, electric small guard, uh, just a, a jet from baseline to baseline, a guy who could shoot threes. All four of those awards I, I agreed with, and, and I actually would have voted for. Uh, the defensive player of the year, Javon Bess from St. Louis. Uh, you could certainly make an argument for Jacob Gilliard from Richmond uh, or Marcus Evans from VCU. Uh, Gilliard is eighth nationally in steal percentage, and Evans was the best defensive player on a top five defensive team nationally. Uh, but the coaches opted for Bess, who in his own right is a, a lockdown, physical, one-on-one defender. Uh, the most improved player, Justin Kyer from George Mason. Uh, a good player, certainly a, a guy who I thought had a good season, but I don't know if he fits the criteria as most improved uh, as well as some other guys would. Uh, I went for Marcos Santos Silva from VCU, the, the Massachusetts native in that one. I thought he made a big jump. Good player. From last season. You also could have considered Langevin in, in that category. Uh, first team all-conference, headlined by Goodmanson. Uh, Kellen Grady, his Davidson teammate, I, I was a little surprised at that. Uh, had some big games, had some games where he didn't really show up. Uh, the URI game at Davidson springs to mind. Um, but he is a, a very talented kid. There's no question about that. Uh, Obi Toppin breaking through as a redshirt freshman onto the first team. Marcus Evans from VCU. And then Courtney Stockard from St. Bonaventure. Scoring guard. Good player. A um, couple second team guys who I might have considered for the first team. Obviously, Langevine. Charlie Brown from St. Joe's, who led the league in scoring. Javon Bess, who was a good two-way player. Uh, the other second team guys were Justin Kyer and, and Jacob Gilliard from Richmond. Um yeah, I think we'll we'll stop there. Uh, we also want to mention uh, Justin Missoula, the pride of Johnston, Rhode Island, and Bishop Hendrickson was named to the All Academic Team. That's great. Out that's, of George Washington. That's great to see. Congrats to Justin. Uh, I don't see anyone in a lot of different le- uh, teams there from La Salle, but we'll, we'll get to the Rams and the Explorers and the Atlantic Ten in a little bit. We're going to start with the Big East, where. Uh, uh, one of the str- I, I think this is the strangest year that the Big East has had in its. Uh, I think this is number seven. No, let me uh, take that back. This is the sixth year of the reformatted Big East, and it's by far the strangest. Number one, uh, this is the first time they don't have a top fifteen, top ten team uh, in the country. Uh, j- only a year ago, they had two number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. Now they will have maybe only three teams in the NCAA tournament, which would match a low uh, since the league reformatted. Uh, It's a very strange, and so many teams and so many games have been so close and look so much alike 
that anyone who thinks that they can predict what's going to happen at the Garden uh, this week get to Twin River and, and <laughs> fork it over quick, folks, because uh, Providence, again, Providence and Butler begin things on Wednesday night. The winner will play number one seeded Villanova on Thursday at noontime. The number two seed is Marquette, and uh, they're facing either DePaul or St. John's, and we've talked about this, Bill. I, St. John's is one of the most curious teams in the country. An awful lot of bracketologists have St. John's in the NCAA tournament right now. And if I'm a Red Storm fan, I'm not feeling too good about that, especially if they were to lose to DePaul, which is, I think is going to happen. Uh, DePaul is playing as well as really anybody in the league. Max Struess is killing it. I think he had 42 points in his last game. And Paul Reed, I mean... Bill, I, I, this is such an interesting game to Paul St. John's that Bill Koch is going to attend on Wednesday night, which is saying a lot. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing you, Bill. Uh, I'm actually uh, just going to be in Manhattan, Kevin. You you know me. You know I like a little bit of the nightlife. Uh, you know, and I wouldn't mind seeing the Friars live and in person. Uh, that hasn't happened for me very often this season. Providence and you or I played on a lot of the same days. Mm. Um, you know, where Rhodey was at home or Providence was on the road or, or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm really intrigued to see what Providence does on the big stage. They seem to have a different sort of confidence level, a different sort of swagger at Madison Square Garden. Uh, their only visit this year, they hammered the Red Storm uh, in a regular season game. Um, you know, and, and Providence has what you would think is a good matchup with Butler, a team who they've beaten twice, a uh, team who they beat decisively on Saturday. Uh, the final score, I thought really flattered the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, I thought that, that felt like just watching you know, maybe the first 30 minutes or so, it felt like a 20, 25-point game throughout. Yeah, interesting. This will be the uh, third time in 16 days that Providence will play Butler. Uh, out in Indianapolis, the Friars won in overtime, 73-67, in a game that shouldn't have went to overtime. Providence should have won in regulation. Correct. And then in the rematch at the uh, dunk, Providence built a 20-point lead at the half, led by 28 in the second half. And how did they do it? They made some shots. They had 11 three-pointers for the game. A.J. Reeves had six all by himself. He looked like the A.J. Reeves who we saw three, four times in the non-conference season. Um, can we read anything into that and think that we'll see, you know, A.J. Reeves getting, he finished with 24. Can we think that we can see, you know, 18 to 20 points from A.J. Reeves on Wednesday night? I'm not ready to go there, but as Ed Cooley said, if we can shoot the ball consistently, uh, they're going to be a tough out. It's amazing how much easier the game looks when shots go in. Uh, you know, like we said on the last podcast, the game that Providence played at Creighton, they had the defense first lineup in for most of the game, and every possession felt like a struggle. It mm-hmm. felt like a fight. In this game, the offensive guys stayed on the floor. They were playing well, and shots go down. And, and you could see just sort of the relief and, and the joy at the dunk that uh, Providence's players and, and fans experienced on Saturday, and you know they're looking for a little slice of that going into Wednesday night. For sure. And the other co-star of the victory over Butler was Isaiah Jackson. He was uh, on senior night, really good story, senior, senior day, and the first time that his mother had ever been to see a game in Providence. Wow, how about that? She had seen him on the road a few times, but never been to the dunk. She showed up, and I guess she said to Cooley uh, before the game, she goes, wow. A lot of people come to these games. <laughs> Florida native, right? Florida, Gaines, he, Gainesville, Florida, he, uh, long way away. Grew up in the villages, is that correct? 
Um, that's where he went to high school. Okay. I'm not quite sure where his home was. But as you know, started his college career at George Mason and transferred after one year. Uh, we've seen a different Isaiah Jackson than the last two weeks. Uh, the last three games, he's totaled 21, 20, and 20 points off the bench Pretty for the Friars. So uh, I will read something into that and say this guy sees his college career about to end and wants to you know, lengthen it as much as he can. Yes. Whether that means a good showing in the Big East tournament, whether it means uh, an NIT bid, We'll see where the Friars' season ends, but uh, it, they, all the Big East coaches routinely say about this year's Providence team, it's just a team you don't enjoy playing because they're, they're big, they have very good size around the rim, and they're just very physical defensively. So, you know, you might beat them, but it's not going to be any fun. And uh, we'll see whether that's Butler on Wednesday night or certainly Jay Wright has seen his share of Providence in that style over the years as well. No question. Uh, this team... Looking the part was never their problem. You you saw them at the start of the year, and you looked at the roster, and you looked at the freshmen that they brought in. Even uh, long, physical, athletic, you know, pro bodies on this team. Um, you know, guys at the the one through four spots who would be representative professionals. Your shooting guard is six six. Your point guard is six five and super long. Um, you know, your big guy is Nate Watson, who's six ten and two sixty, and you know bodies bounce off him inside, and he's got great touch. And you would look at them and say, "Wow, these guys passed the uniform test." Mm-hmm. And then too often the game has started, and the ball doesn't go in, and they just have this almighty struggle. Uh, but right now, you know, especially against Butler, a team who they've beaten twice, you would expect them to bring some confidence into Wednesday. And you know, if you win the first game, there's a lot to be said for a little momentum in a, a short tournament like that. And you know, Providence playing someone like Villanova. Um, Villanova is a, a good team; they've done a lot of winning. But this version of Villanova is far from infallible. Oh, no question. You know, Providence. If you ask me who you know Providence matches up best in the league, I would say Butler. You know they've swept only two teams, Butler and St. John's. I think St. John's is a little more dangerous than Butler because they have a player like Shamari Pons who, who can get it going. And then if you'd rather play Villanova or Marquette, I would say Villanova. Uh, they're they're not the most talented team. They have two very very good seniors, savvy seniors in Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. Uh, but both have been inconsistent offensively, especially in the last three weeks of the season, where the where the Cats went. I think they they might have started ten and zero in the Big East and, and finished with thirteen wins. So they've they've limped home here. Uh, and then if Providence were to pull the the major upset and send the Big East tournament upside down, uh, they're matched in a quadrant with uh, five seed Creighton and four seed Xavier. Uh, two teams that uh, uh, Xavier has swept, uh, Creighton has swept Providence, and uh, Providence split with Xavier. So, you know, who knows? Who yeah, knows? I mean, for guys like Booth and Pascal, they might just be getting a little tired. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Pascal's played 88% of minutes this year. He's in the top 65 in the country. Booth has played 86% of minutes. He's in the top 125 in the country. And we've said it all year, Kevin, this is a thin roster, a thin squad. You you lost a ton of talent to the NBA. Um those guys have been asked to carry a very heavy load for Villanova. When they're not good, the Wildcats aren't good. There's not much behind them. Um, you know, so if Providence is able to get past that first game and, and maybe sort of drag Villanova into a physical end-to-end sort of possession-by-possession type of game, you know, they could have a chance to win something in the 50s or, or in the 60s. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's 
that's what we're looking, you know, if you're Providence, that's exactly what you're looking to do is find a way to get by Butler, uh, hold the three-point line down. That's really where Butler's bread and butter is. They were 7 of 22 from downtown in Saturday's uh, loss to the Friars. So if they can keep Sean McDermott, Paul Jorgensen, and uh, Kamar Baldwin uh, cool from the three-point line. I think Providence has, has an excellent chance to win that game. And then Villanova, we'll see what happens. Uh, but that would set up a very interesting Thursday noon here in Providence and in New York City, where the Friars would be uh, teeing it up at noontime at the Garden and noontime at the Barclays Center, a few miles south, southeast, the Rhode Island Rams and the LaSalle Explorers would tee off. And uh, Bill, I know you saw the first game with uh, LaSalle. Just tell us a little bit about the Explorers. Well, uh, the last time they played was January 19th. It was the only meeting of the year. Uh, Rhode Island won on the road, 78-67. A game that they trailed by 10 in the second half, um, early in the second half. And then Fats Russell came alive, uh, as he's been known to do now against Philadelphia schools. you know, he had 20 points in that game. Jeff Doughton had 22. Cyril Langevin had 19 points and 14 rebounds. Uh, and generally, as we've seen throughout the year, when those three guys play well at the same time, Rhode Island is a pretty tough out. Uh, you know, LaSalle, much improved under Ashley Howard, first-year coach, uh, off Jay Wright's staff at, at Villanova. Uh, a team that started in the non-conference. They were 2-10 and 10 in non-conference play. Wow. Started 1-4 and four in the A-10 and ended up finishing 8-10 and 10, uh, in the league. So they've done a really good job here down the stretch uh, of turning this around. They have a win over Davidson at home, which is probably the, the highlight of their schedule uh, in terms of results. Uh, and a team that is going to play you tough uh, you know, at the defensive end. They force turnovers on 20% of your possessions. Um, have a lot of active guards led by Pookie Powell, who's a transfer from Memphis. Tracy Carter, who's a transfer from Marquette. Uh, David Beattie, who's a transfer from South Carolina. That's sort of been the M.O. for LaSalle. They get five, they get power five guys who are looking to take a step down. And in a lot of cases, Beattie specifically, who want to come back to Philadelphia and play at home. Um, you know, and wish that, with Ashley Howard, you can see the enthusiasm that a first-year coach can bring and, and sort of the energy that that can give to a roster um, you know, because they've really played hard, uh, you know, haven't been blown out very often. It's only been a couple times where you know, in the A-10 they, they've sort of you know, been outclassed. Um, you know, in Rhode Island, much the same way here. The last four games they've won four in a row. The only team with a longer winning streak in the league is VCU who is the conference champions. Uh, David Cox and his players have really found something here uh, at a point where they looked stranded after losing at VCU by 34. Uh, it really looked like you know they were going to head towards something ugly here. Uh, but they found a way to salvage the season, and, and they are very much looking forward to getting to Brooklyn and getting back to an event where they're 5-1 and one in their last two seasons. Now, it's interesting. For a team that's 16-14, and 14, uh, Bill and I uh, – Went down to see the Rams on Tuesday, and boy, I, I mean the uh, Monday. I'm sorry, the the optimism and confidence from guys like Cyril and Fats and Jeff Doughton that they can't wait to get there, uh, and, and that really just goes back to what they've experienced. They've experienced only winning in their college careers, and they expect to do the same. And uh, you know, if I'm have to face LaSalle, you know, I don't mind that draw. You know, it's a guard game. You know, largely. 
that's the strength of both teams. And then you have a chance to take down VCU. And uh, again, we talked about this before we started here, Bill. The rest of the country is not going to like the Atlantic 10 because I don't see VCU winning the conference tournament. This will be a bid stealer league. And I not ready to say that it's going to be Rhode Island who wins the Atlantic 10 tournament on Sunday, but it's going to be someone. And I just, I'm ready for VCU to get upset. And it could be as soon as maybe Friday with Rhode Island. There is precedent for the one seed to fall in that round. Uh, you know, and on that side of the draw, you have St. Bonaventure as the four seed, uh, a team that Rhode Island beat, you know, back earlier in the season on January 16th, handled them pretty easily at home. Uh, now, St. Bonaventure stabilized from there. Mark Schmidt did another wonderful job, the Massachusetts native, uh, the head coach of the Bonnies, um, managed to turn that thing around. Uh, you know, at one point, St. Bonaventure this season was four and ten overall. Uh, they finished sixteen and fifteen, twelve and six in the league. Um, you know, they were five and five at one point, won wow. seven of the last eight in the conference, uh, and that includes you know wins over Duquesne and over St. Louis. Um, just a typical Mark Schmidt team. You know, they play tough, they defend well, uh, they can run some good offense when when they're on their day. Um, but I don't mind that draw for Rhode Island in, in that half. And you know, if somehow you manage to get to the final, you hope that Davidson and Dayton have beaten each other up on the other side. Mm. Maybe you get one of them softened up on a Sunday. I, I think that for VCU specifically, I think maybe getting past Rhode Island in the 1-8 game might be their toughest test. I, I think that they could handle St. Bonaventure pretty easily. Well, and I just, Rhode Island's a hot team. And again, a, a team that can score some points. And again, we're assuming which is probably not safe to assume that Fats Russell is going to keep playing well. And, uh, you know, he had 27 in a 94-75 season-ending win over Massachusetts. That was never close. Rhode Island scored 54 points in the first half. And that's on top of, uh, well, what did he have uh, at St. Joe, 42? 41. Fats is averaging 23-7 over his last five games. Well, you put him down for 23 against LaSalle and 23 more against VCU, and I like where the roadie Rams stand. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and, you know, don't get fooled, anybody. Uh, the Atlantic 10 will not get an at-large team outside of VCU. So Dayton, you mentioned two teams that, are, that definitely scare me, Dayton and Davidson. They will be desperate. They will be playing desperate basketball at the Barclays Center looking to uh, get back to the NCAA tournament. Davidson did that last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clipped Rhode Island in the final 58-57, made it a three-bid league. Rhode Island and St. Bonaventure were both going. Um, you know, and Davidson was able to to steal a bid from the field. Uh, at the time, Dan Hurley was concerned that it was going to cost his brother a bid at Arizona oh, yeah, State. Right. Bobby Hurley, uh, the Sun Devils were one of the last teams into the field. Uh, you know, and I remember the the feeling on that Sunday in Washington. Uh, Dan Hurley was a, a sad looking man. You uh, walking off that floor after losing the Wildcats. Well, how about this one? Rhode Island or Davidson or Dayton. May do the same thing to the Sun Devils this year. Yeah, let's take a let's take a little look around here because Bobby's on the bubble as well. Uh, Arizona State has a net of sixty-seven, uh, and you know a competitive resume with uh, three Quadrant One wins, eleven in Quadrants One and Two, uh, but. Uh, certainly a bubble team you know uh, there's so many inter- we could have a separate podcast with just NCA tournament uh well let's let's just do the conferences we cover well they're, we, we they're, could pre- just they're pretty that. straightforward for um, now yeah uh, you know the Atlantic 10 again we've talked about a little bit this 
VCU is in excellent shape with a net of 31 and a non-conference strength of schedule of two. Two. That'll do it. That will get it done. Yep. They will be in good shape. But um, And the Big East is the Big East. Uh, again, three teams I think are totally solid with Villanova, Marquette, and Seton Hall. After that, everyone else, I shouldn't say everyone else is on the bubble, but it seems as if uh, there's five teams that if they can get to the semifinals or maybe even just one or two wins, um, they're going to be in the mix. And the, that's that's St. John's, that's Creighton, that's Georgetown, uh, and maybe Xavier. Uh, Z- uh, St. John's, I mentioned, I think Xavier is an interesting case. Um, I think they need to go to the finals even to have a prayer, but... All those teams are interesting, and and then you put them up against so many other teams that are just so flawed. More than any time that I can recall in the last ten years, teams like NC State and Clemson and Washington and Texas, uh, uh, Indiana, all Ohio State, Ohio State, and Minnesota, just with a lot of losses, a lot of. Chances to beat good teams that they didn't take advantage of. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the, uh, the committee does in the last, you know, five six teams. You it, this goes back to you wonder what the committee values. Whether they're going to value, you know, overall strength of schedule. Whether they are, whether they are going to value the net. Uh, whether they're going to look at what you did non-conference strength of schedule. A um, couple interesting cases in the Big East. Uh, Creighton has the highest net outside of Villanova and Marquette. I think they're 54 mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, non-conference strength of schedule of 26. They, they played a very strong slate, um, but they lost a lot of those games. They got beat by Gonzaga. Uh, they got beat by Oklahoma, beat by Nebraska. Um, their quadrant one wins. They're three and ten. Marquette, Clemson, and at Providence, who's seventy four. They really need Providence to win that Butler game. Yeah, and and when I look at Creighton, I say, well, they've had a lot of chances and haven't won enough of them. O- only three quadrant one wins. Providence has more quadrant one wins than than a Creighton. Um, you know, I, I think a team like Georgetown. Now, their net is, is relatively low at seventy six, but. I, we don't even know what the net is. You know, the, the, the net right. calculation is so strange. I don't think they're going to say, well, you know, they're 76 and this team's, you know, 42, so we got to take the 42. you got to dig a little deeper. Georgetown has five quadrant one wins, so the same amount of chances with, with two extra wins and 11 quadrant one and two. Uh, now, Georgetown has their flaws, just like everybody else. Their non-conference strength of schedule is 250. But, Bill... This is the poster child team that, if they get in, there needs to be an investigation. Go to NC State at number 32. Oh, boy. So, yeah. NC State, now, I, I, I will totally admit I have a burr in my saddle about the ACC. Yeah. Uh, all they care about is money. All they care about is money. And, by the way, all they care about is money. So, <laughs> they, uh, NC State's non-conference strength to schedule. What was that they care about again? Cash. Straight cash only? Straight cash home. NC State's non-conference strength of schedule. Can, can you tell me what that is, sir? Uh, that looks like 353. How many teams are in the country? That would be 353. <laughs> so they may have tried to schedule someone out of the uh, <laughs> conference, but they failed miserably. And then they go 9-9 nine and nine in the ACC. Well, the ACC, because they care about money, has an unbalanced schedule because they have too many teams. They expanded beyond their 
dreams. Now, maybe not for football, but this is a basketball tournament, so they should be harmed. So NC State played Duke once, played North Carolina once, I believe, mm-hmm. Virginia once. Actually, if you have it there, I believe they may have played in North Carolina twice. But they, of those three, the three real teams in the league, they didn't play them twice like you would in a real league, a real round-robin league. They did play Boston College twice, uh, uh, Georgia Tech and Wake Forest at least, you know, uh, uh, twice, if not once, you know. Their 9-9 nine and nine is not a legitimate 9-9. Nine and nine. So uh, your eyes are opening as you go through the resume I'm, there. I'm looking at this non-conference schedule, and uh, I'm going to protect. I'm not going to name these teams to protect the innocent here. <laughs> but here are the net ratings of the teams that oh, NC State played in the non-conference. This would be good. 336, 352, 351, 335, 318. Mm. 218, 15, they played Wisconsin. And won? And lost. And lost. 153, which was Vanderbilt, who went 0-18 in the SEC. They're the only Power 5 team who did not win a conference game this year. Okay. 294. 49, which was Penn State. They won. 17, which was Auburn. They actually won that game as well. That's the best win of the season. Those are their two best wins, non-conference. Then they polished it off by playing 344 and 279. And how about in the league? Tell me of the of the iron. What happened when they played the Duke, well, let's see, Carolina, played. and Virginia? All right, Carolina, they lost, of course. Louisville, they lost. Louisville's twenty two in the net. I don't care about them. I care about okay. the, the big dogs. Virginia lost in overtime. Okay, oddly enough, uh, Virginia Tech, who's eleven in the net, they lost forty seven twenty four in that. They game. scored twenty four points. Twenty four. Folks, 24. If, if any selection committee members watched that game alone, that's enough to exclude NC State. 24 points. So they're in the ACC, which is the best league in the country. They had a lot of chances at quad one uh, wins. They played 10 games. Guess how many they won? Two. Yeah. And yet, a lot of people have NC State in uh, the tournament. Uh, Clemson as well. Clemson has, has, a, has a much stronger case because of a stronger schedule. But uh, both of those teams were 9-9 nine and nine in the ACC, and we shall see what happens on Selection Sunday. You know, I also look and, at— And that's why, uh, to interrupt, NC State, you see 32 in the net. Oh, they got to be in. You have to look closer. And needless to say, right. the, the warts on that one are ugly. You know, and I think in, in, uh, in the case of St. John's, they're going to be closely scrutinized. I, you mentioned them earlier. Um, five and six in quadrant one, but all five of those wins are against Big East teams. And, and I think that they're going to be sort of the litmus test for the conference and how many bids that they get. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they had no quad one wins outside the league. Their strength of schedule was 214 non-conference. Yeah, I think their only good win outside the league was VCU. Uh, that's right. VCU was yeah. a quad one win. Okay. Uh the other ones were Creighton, Marquette twice, Villanova once. Got it. Um, you go into quadrant two. And they finished eight and ten in a balance league. Right. Uh, the balance leagues, uh, basically the Big East and, and the Big 12, are very easy to read. If someone's ten and eight and you're eight and ten, they had a better conference season than you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you go into quad two and their only non-conference quad two win was against Rutgers. Uh, who is not a good team at all. Yep. 
and, and again, in the league, there's only two, well, three, you know, teams that are in the field. So the the short answer is, if you have someone on the selection committee who thinks the Big East was good, and I'm of the mindset that the league was pretty good, I think it was pretty tough. You're going to look and say, well, they swept Marquette and they split with Villanova. Those are the two best teams. That and fairly and, and impressive. That, that is their argument. There's no right. question. You know, they they beat the top of the Big East, uh, and you know that I think that should merit a first four minimal. I think that's probably if they win the first game against DePaul mm-hmm. uh, and have a, a decent showing against Marquette, Bill, in the second game, you'll be at that DePaul game. I know. It's a home game. I know. St. John's Sh- Red should Storm. win. Must win. Watch out for Max Struess. He can't. No, he can't player. wait to fire him away against the storm. Must must win that game. But I, yeah. I think if you if you look at it objectively, St. John's wins that game. I think they probably would ship them to Dayton and put them in the first four. I, I don't think that that's something unreasonable. Well, I, I'd put him in over NC State. Oh, no question. And, and yet the net difference is thirty points. Thirty. So again. We, we've seen RPI vagaries over the years. I, yeah. I would think that we're yeah. going to see the same thing with the net. What what you really want, and I think someone was kicking this around on, on Twitter the other night, and I think it would be fascinating. You send teams to Dayton, let's say a mid-major bid stealer, like a, a dominant team like Wofford, who ended up winning the SoCon. Mm. You know, let's say Buffalo loses in the MAC final. Now, Buffalo should be way in the field. They're in the field. If the selection committee decides to do something stupid and send them to the first four, which would be a a travesty, let them play NC State. I think you're talking Belmont. So, so let Belmont play St. John's. That's what we're looking to do. If we're going to let Belmont in the field, which they have have a case, it's not a great one, but they have a case, Uh, I'm not putting them in the field. I'm putting them in the first four, and they can play NC State. They can play St. John's. They can play Clemson. That'd be outstanding. Fascinating. It, it, it would also drive, and you know, there was a minor one on that last year where St. Bonnie got in and played UCLA. And beat him. And beat him. Th- right. That was a game that people wanted to see. No question. And uh, I think we'd love to see that. Th- that would jazz up the first four. For me, I, I always felt like that's why the first four was created. You, you're sort of looking for extra spots mm-hmm. to put teams in. And I think it's sort of, you could use it to give the mid-majors a, a reprieve against a power conference team that went 8 and 10 in their league but had a really strong schedule. And we'll see what's what when we put them out on the floor against each other. Instead, you get, you know, Providence and Southern Cal, a rematch a couple of years ago. You get Oklahoma playing Rhode Island last year. Oklahoma 18 and 13 no, overall. No, that wasn't eight, a first four game. Well, no, but Oklahoma should have been in the first four. Right. Shouldn't have been point. in the field proper. Yeah, with all those losses late. All right, that's it folks. Uh we really appreciate you listening. Enjoy the March Madness action, and we'll be back next week when we have the NCAA tournament bracket in our hands and have even more fun. Thanks very much.